Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. We're actually going to be in Ephesians one more week. We'll be in Ephesians next week and we'll close our study in the book of Ephesians looking at the last few verses. And then the week after that we will begin a study in the book of Daniel. So I encourage you to begin reading ahead in the book of Daniel. Put it on on your way to work in the morning or something like that when so you can just listen through it if that helps. Uh, just encourage you to begin having some context in that book. It's um it's kind of one of those books that tells stories that we've we've all grown up with and loved, and it's it's also has some really um, interesting kinds of prophetic words and things to us, and so it's a it'll be a fun book for us to study and to see our Lord Jesus in the midst of it. And so I look forward to that study. But here today we have Ephesians chapter six verses ten through twenty. Uh, before we come to it, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help with it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us as we read this passage concerning the whole armor of God, these things that you have fit us with as believers, even the sword that you have armed us with. Lord, we pray with that very sword that you would pierce to our souls this morning. And then with the armor that you have provided us with, that you would use it even to protect us from ourselves. Because as many times we come to your word, we come seeking a quick answer for a problem that you've already given us a solution for. We seek a way out from understanding the real truth that you've given us in order to substitute our own truth or we just ignore the things that you have told us. In many ways, Lord, we disregard your word for our own truth. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us again, that you would use your word to change us, that you would guide us by it, and that you would pierce us with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been one of my favorite passages, particularly growing up, as I have always been fascinated with armor and swords and that sort of thing from old. Probably began when I first started reading fantasy and learning about swords and armor, and it kind of has been spurred on even more by that love of of fantasy, studying weapons and armor and knowing their ins and outs and how they're made and all of this sort of thing. It's always been fun and I've always enjoyed this passage because of it and I probably grew up thinking that I largely understood what it meant. But I think as I've aged and I've experienced more and more of the sinful world that we live in, I've gained a lot more perspective on this passage. All around us lies the difference between truth and fiction between right and wrong. And oftentimes even these lines are seemingly blurred to us, even though they're not actually blurred. They're as clear as day as for anyone who has eyes to see. Yet for many who are without Christ, who who live in darkness, unable to discern the clear demarcation of the Scriptures, 
these things lay in darkness and are blurred. Truth and right are under siege. As ones who seek and who are commanded even to uphold the truth, we oftentimes find ourselves in a similar position. For some Christians around the world, there's actually a threat to livelihood and physical survival. But for us in this country, we're still able to have comfort in this life. But it's not without daily temptation to set aside our defenses and simply allow evil to prevail, either from just fear or from just being tired of seeing so much of it and just weary. It's in these times that we have to make distinctions as to who the real enemy is and how we should war against it. So as we come to the text today, as Paul is beginning to conclude this letter to the church in Ephesus, he's given instructions on salvation, how we are saved, how we are brought back to life in Christ Jesus our Lord and reconciled to God, and then how as we are to live in a community reconciled to one another. Now he is going to instruct the church how we can hope to do those things in a world that doesn't think or act at all like we do. In chapter 4, we're told that the leaders of the church were to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Well, here in this passage today, we have a kind of equipment list, not only for the congregation, but also for those who lead the church. So as we come to the text, we're going to consider it in three main ideas. First, a call to battle. Second, the armor for the battle. And then Lastly, the secret weapon for victory. So with that, let's look together at the text, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which is which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all player and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So for just a bit of a background here, it seems strange that Paul is going to describe some armor when it comes to the Christian faith. It maybe not shouldn't be so strange to us considering what Paul sees all around him pretty much his entire life. 
As Paul lived in either Rome or in Roman-occupied space. The, the church in Ephesus or the Ephesians would have definitely known this as well. They would have known exactly what a Roman soldier looked like. They saw them all the time because Roman soldiers were all over the place as an occupying force through most of the known world. We have no idea what hostile occupation looks like at all in our world, thankfully. But Paul and the Jews and the Ephesians understood it perfectly. Paul also knew the words of Jesus, that there was going to be trials and persecution, but that Jesus would overcome the world. The reason that we are told to equip ourselves is because we are in a fight that Jesus has already won and is winning and will win. But there will be casualties, even though we won't lose, because Jesus again has won. In these times, it is important to remember the words of Isaiah, chapter 9 of Isaiah, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Mighty God. Our Lord Jesus holds the government on his shoulders. No one has authority except that which has been given to him by the Lord himself, and there is no power that can overcome him even in the slightest remotest bit. So as we on this earth oftentimes feeling powerless against such powers, as we consider this passage, particularly in light of where our culture is, let us remember that the Lord Jesus is on the throne, that his kingdom is going forward, and the gospel will accomplish the exact goal for which is for which it is attended, and that is the salvation of the people of God. And that brings us to the first point, the call to battle. Let's look again at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. As he comes to the end of this great work, he has some final instructions for the church of God. And as a way to sum it up, he gives this commandment to, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And this he uses very similar language to what we see in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you want to flip back there real quick, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Very similar, almost identical language that you see here. Verse 19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us and those who believe according to the working of His great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So understand what's going on here. The power working in us as believers is the same power with which the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. The power and strength of the Lord should be enough on its own for us. We just got through reading about David. The little boy, who he wasn't a little boy at the time, but we like to think that when we think about him going out and with, to his battle with Goliath, and what did he take with him? Well, he didn't take any armor, and he only took a sling. He was able to take down the giant by trusting the Lord alone. No armor, no sword, even though he would gain those things later in life. But we aren't David. We like to think that we are, but rather we're the terrified Israelites cowering in the corner. We have a hard time trusting in God's power on our best days. God knows this. 
And so he's given us an armor to do that work. And that's what we see in verses 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God. That you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We're going to talk about this armor specifically, but I want to focus on verse 12 before we move on to that. This idea that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers, whatever that might be. Well, notice, he says our war is not against flesh and blood. We do not war against people. We shouldn't view our enemy as a person or a group of people or a particular system of people or anything like that. We are called to love others as we love ourselves. The enemy is evil. Evil manifests itself in many ways, and sometimes the enemy even uses people for its advantage. The lost cannot help but act as if they are lost. Right? We understand that concerning the lost. We just read in Ephesians 2, we've studied, I mean, that the, the dead are, the lost are dead in their trespasses and their sins. Jesus called them in Matthew chapter 9, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We don't make excuses for their sin. That's not what we're doing. We're not making excuses for the sin of the lost. But they don't answer to us for their sins. They will answer to Jesus. So what should we do? Well, we should love them. It's the Lord himself calls us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. If anybody understood this at all, it was Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. So I want to quote from this section where he says this. Jesus had real and present enemies. They were following him around everywhere trying to kill him, and they eventually did. If anyone understood this idea of praying for their enemies, Jesus did. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and following. He says this, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son... Rise on evil and on good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you, or what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We love to point to at a person or a political party or a type of person or whatever and vilify them because it's easy. But we aren't called to do that. We are called just to do just the opposite. We are called to love our enemies. You've heard me say this often, but here's a different spin on it. Love your enemies. Hate your own sin. Pray for those who persecute you. Hate the things that cause division in the church. Hate the right things. Love the people that we've been called to love. 
Let us unify around the things that we love and around our common Savior rather than unifying because we all hate the same things. What a strange belief system we would have if we just were together because we all hated the same things. Let's unify around our common Savior, around the fact that we love our enemies, that we love others as we have been called, as we, or as we love ourselves. The real enemy here is the rulers, the authorities, these cosmic powers, the present darkness, this evil that's in the heavenly places. All of these are words to describe things that are not of this earth. Spiritual forces, not physical. Again, this isn't to say that our enemy cannot be physical at times, but we need to understand that that even that physical enemy has a spiritual kind of underpinning to it. We've been reading through 1 Samuel, and this is exactly what's going on in 1 Samuel. Against such a foe, we need weapons and armors that is unlike any other. It doesn't require us to storm the steps of the Capitol or boycott some major company or something like that. Escapism for the Christian is not the answer. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we know that to be true. We take up weapons and armor that are able to combat a foe that is not physical. Sometimes those things are right, those kinds of protests and those sorts of things. But we aren't following the instructions here in the text if we believe that our enemy is nonstop physical, something that we have to go see and defeat. Our enemy is spiritual, and for these things we require the armor of God. That brings us to the next point, the armor for battle. In these next four verses, we have kind of an equipment list that a soldier would have worn in Paul's day, or at least the basic equipment. It serves as a metaphor for the believer today and how we should outfit ourselves. And I'll even say as we, to describe as we are already outfit. We have the very power of God working in us, and the armor of God serves as a protection and a tool for battle. It is a necessary component of the Christian life, and it's something that we have in Christ. I want to make that point abundantly clear. These aren't things that we have to go out and find. I need to find my shield of faith so that I can wield it. No, we have these things in Christ. These pieces of armor aren't something that have to be earned or are only saved for the most elite of Christians. Rather, they are available to all in Christ because all Christians are the same in Christ. That brings us to the basic or the first of these pieces, the belt of truth. And so basically what I'm just going to do is kind of walk through them and talk about each one a little bit. This belt in verse 14, the belt had a very significant uh, role in the armor of a soldier in that it kind of connected all the other pieces together. It served as an anchor from which all of those pieces would fasten. Without the belt, the soldier's armor would completely fall apart and just not be wearable. And it served as a place also to hang one's weapon. Truth, in this way, is very much our anchor. Where we find truth, of course, we know that our source of truth in this life and for faith and practice is God's very word. It should be the structure by which we hang all of our thoughts, all of our concerns, all of our cares from. We shouldn't consider anything without first taking it to God's word. Not all things are explicitly spelled out in God's word. We're not going to find instructions for every single situation in life. But we don't need to proof text everything 
as believers. We use the principles that are taught in his word to make wise decisions and to interpret the world around us. And this is vitally important for a Christian who lives in an ever-increasingly changing world. That brings us to the next one, the breastplate of righteousness. In verse 14 also, the breastplate would have been a defense against lethal blows, much like our ribs and our sternum protect our heart. The breastplate is kind of like an extra set of that, except it's made out of steel and it's, you know, a lot nicer looking. Breastplate of righteousness. Where does our righteousness in Christ come, or where does our righteousness in as a Christian come from? Well, it comes from Christ. We have an impenetrable covering surrounding us concerning the tax of the enemy. If we believe that our righteousness in Christ is going to cover our sin, so much so that when the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ, what then is it going to do against the attacks of our enemy? He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God requires perfect righteousness, and we have that in Jesus The world would have us to doubt these things, would have us to doubt and question our salvation. But it's the righteousness of Christ that protects us from the very wrath of God. The world doesn't have this kind of protection, which is why it's constantly scampering to find anything that will protect it. The only way to get to get it is through repentance and belief in Jesus. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. That brings us to the gospel of peace. The shoes that are fitted, what does it say in verse 15? And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier would have worn a kind of sandal, but they weren't like, you know, like flip-flops, like I like to wear that are soft and worn out on the bottoms. These would have been like sandals with a really hard sole and even would have had nails driven through them for traction. And I guess they would have served as a weapon in a pinch as well. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. Readiness of preparation. Firm footing and foundation. The gospel is our foundation. We veer from it. We risk falling. The gospel is our hope for salvation for the believer. We get get salvation from nothing else. And we preach the gospel unequivocally. Because the world needs Jesus and nothing else. The world cannot find salvation or hope outside of Jesus. And we continue to preach the gospel to each other. Because we still need Jesus. We don't stop needing the gospel just because one day we were saved and we wrote a date down in our Bibles. We do not stop needing Jesus. In fact... The believer understands their need for Jesus more and more every day, much more than the unbeliever ever could. A Christian without the gospel is like a soldier without boots. They can't go anywhere, nor would they want to. Being fitted with the gospel of Jesus Christ is our way to the Father and our protection as we walk through the world. A Christian cannot hope to survive without the gospel. That brings us to verse 16, the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
The shield here is there's lots of kinds of shield shields in the Roman world. But the shield here uh, that is being the word that is being used for shield here would have been like a a full body shield. It's actually where they get the the, the Greek word here is where the they get the word door from. So this would have been a very big shield, like a body sized thing, not against any not against particular blows, but against all things. You could have just stood it in front of you and protected from anything that would come your way. And that's why he says the extinguish the, the darts from the evil one. Faith, as we read in Scripture, is a confidence in things not seen. We haven't seen Jesus, but we are sure because of what he has told us that he is going to have the victory, that he is going to have that in our lives even over and over we know that we were blind, but now we see. Now We were dead, but now we are alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that by grace, through faith, we have been saved. And we know that He is making all things new. This is helpful. Because oftentimes, we see something in life and we want to take that small picture of something and we want to make our whole life about that thing. But he's telling us, no, that this shield of faith is around you. That in all circumstances, that we can dispel any kind of lie, any kind of act of evil, or any kind of lie that we tell ourselves even, that would seek to destroy us. And this can be extinguished by our shield of faith. And the helmet of salvation... Similar to the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet was there for protecting a vital area, our heads, particularly from downward blows from those who would stand over us. Our salvation is our protection against a dark world. There's no need for us to concern ourselves because of the forces of darkness. The, the helmet is a protection from that. Our salvation protects us from surprises of the evil one. The Christian need not be anxious in this world because ultimately nothing can take our salvation away from us. It's not like they can remove this helmet from us and we have to go and find it and put it back on because we are in God's hands. John chapter 10, we read that we are in God's hands and that nothing can remove us from his grasp. Not even our own lack of faith can remove us from his grasp. And as we look at these pieces of armor, a helmet, a breastplate, and a belt, and all these things, these, these items work as they are intended. If I stand a shield in front of me, and just stand here beside it, and this shield is the size of me, I don't have to be particularly good with that shield in order for it to block arrows. I can just stand behind it. If I have a breastplate of righteousness on, and this thing is made out of tempered steel, I don't really need to be good at using it. It's going to block the, the uh, blows of the sword by just being on me. I don't have to think about the belt, the fact that my belt is currently holding up my pants. It's doing that whether or not I'm good at belt or not. Think about that with the armor of God. The maker of the armor gets to decide what gets through and what doesn't. We must trust the Lord to keep us safe and his judgments and how we should deal with the world. 
Most of this armament is completely defense, defensive in nature, not saying, not saying that we shouldn't be on the, in an offensive stance when it comes to the things of the world, and we'll deal with that in just a second. But we need a defense, and our defense is dependent upon the work of our Savior. And so we can rest in Him. Our protection comes from outside of us. We don't need, there's no piece of armor here that we need to make for ourselves. We don't have something that, and the believer is to make this portion for themselves and it better be good or the world's going to come in on them and destroy them. These are things that are made for us so that God may glorify himself in protecting his people. What kind of father would he be if he didn't protect us? And so, of course, the armor is going to be of the highest quality. An untrained soldier, even, is protected by this armor just as much as the trained soldier is. And we should take comfort in that, brothers and sisters. That brings us next to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword, of course, could be used as a defensive weapon in some cases, but not this sword. The Roman sword that is being spoken of here is a gladius, which is a pretty small Sword, almost like a big dagger in some instances, and it was solely an attack weapon. It was there for the Roman soldier to kind of finish the work that they had started with the spear and the arrows and the other things. It was almost uh, kind of their um, cleanup weapon, so to speak. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is an offensive weapon. One who knows the word is able to answer any attack with their own. The word should be the foundation of our offense, defense. It should be our apologetic, as you, as you were, but our attack is going to also be with the word. Now again, this isn't against people. We shouldn't get excited to go out and use God's word as a way to manipulate people, but we use it to attack evil. To attack the evil one. Sometimes our attack against evil may look as if we are having to attack individual people. But we do so in love and we do so in order so that person might be saved. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, if our use of the scripture is for anything else, why is God's word given to his people? Why do we have this thing called special revelation? It's so that we might hear the name of Jesus Christ and by it be saved. And if we are using it in any other way, we are using it inappropriately. This is an important distinction. We are to love people, yet to hate the sin of the world, to hate our own sin. And there's no better way to combat sin than with God's word. At sin's heart is deceit, and there is no better weapon at getting to the heart of sin than the sword of the Spirit, than God's Word. It pierces even the dividing line between truth and fiction, between good and evil. It pierces our very souls, and it penetrates the souls of those who are currently dead in their trespasses and sins. If you're here this morning and you're hearing these things about Christ, and maybe you're realizing for the first time that you need a Savior, this is the very Word of God piercing to your heart. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe with your heart that he is raised from the dead, you can be saved. 
be saved today. Call upon the name of Jesus. For those of us in Christ, Paul gives us a final secret weapon for survival in a lost world. That brings us to the secret weapon for victory, verses 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as, as I ought to speak. So we are told by Paul, even though we have this armor and we have this really great weapon, that we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit, praying for the things of God, praying for the will of God. We are told even in Scripture that Jesus is right now interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father, that He is going to the Father for us. As we pray in His name, He answers those prayers according to the divine decree of God. As we've learned on Wednesday night that God not only uses the prayers of the saints to change the world, He absolutely does, but He uses them to change His saints. He uses prayer to change us. Our lives as Christians should be characterized by prayers. We make supplication for all the saints as they fight the same battle that we do. We should be praying for one another. We should be wishing one another well as we fight against the evil of this world. We should keep alert and perseverance, ready to stand guard, ready to answer when the time comes. This is for all Christians. We need right training, of course, in handling God's Word and in defending God's Word. And when this happens through study and through teaching, we need to pray for our, for our pastors, for our teachers. But ultimately... We pray again for one another because what else do we have? We have one who has said, come to me with your requests and I will answer them. We have the very Son of God who says, I am going to the Father on your behalf. Make your requests known and I will answer your prayers. We should go to him in prayer. What better weapon do we have? than to speak to the very creator of the world, the one that holds all things on his shoulder, the one that is called Mighty God. We live in a world that is dead and is dying. And as Christians, we see this more and more. Our view of the world is different because we see through eyes that have been opened. And we look upon the world, we should, like Jesus, see it as harassed and helpless like sheep. Without a shepherd, we fight against a foe that knows its fate and fights on anyway. It holds sway over the masses. So how then should we live as Christians? We should continue to hold to the truth that we have, remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it alone is the power of salvation, first for us, but also for the world around us. What else do we have to tell them but about Jesus and the hope that we have? We should wage war against the evils of our day, standing for what is right and trusting the Lord to defend it as he sees fit. And also being faithful and bold to proclaim the gospel. Again, the only hope for salvation for the lost.
Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you in prayer, we admit many times that we forget that we have been armed perfectly by you. We have been protected in all cases and for all times. And the only things that get to us are those things which you have allowed for our good and for your glory. So we pray that you help us. Help us to be a church that rightly defends, that rightly stands up and stands firm for your word, but also a church that loves the people of this world that would seek nothing more than the name of Jesus Christ be proclaimed by all men and women around the world, that we would be bold in proclaiming the gospel truth, not only to one another, Lord, help us to be those who encourage one another and who lift up one another according to the gospel, but that we would also share it with a lost world who so desperately needs you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.